Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Welcome back to the fourth trimester podcast. I'm here today with my co-host Esther Gallagher and a special guest Lynn Benson who I'll introduce in just a moment. I wanted to remind all of our listeners today that we have a website which is www.fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. You can go and sign up for our newsletter. You can also go onto Facebook and find us fourth trimester podcast and join our community. Please go on Facebook and like us that would be fantastic. And also we have an Instagram. So if you enjoy Instagram, you can follow us, Fourth Trimester Podcast, on Instagram as well. So thank you so much. So I'm going to introduce Lynn Benson now. She is someone who is an author, a co-author of a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Life Lessons for Busy Moms. And she has quite an extensive background working in early childhood education and in social work. Uh, She's earned her master's degree in social work, and she carries a diverse and exceptional background. She began her career as director of operations for a national multi-unit child care and elderly daycare company, overseeing numerous facilities throughout California. And she has co-developed, launched, and maintained innovative curriculum for the intergenerational daycare programs, which serves both children and seniors. So as a social worker, she's learned firsthand the plight of the elderly who could not endure without outside assistance. And Lynn became their advocate, providing help, organization, and services that they needed day-to-day to to endure and survive various crises that they might be going through. So we're really honored to have her here on our program today. So thank you so much, Lynn, for being on our program. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Lynn, you're a mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to hear a little bit about your own fourth trimester experience. So both of my daughters are, they're teenagers now, 13 and 15 years of age. Um, But I do remember uh, my fourth trimester uh, quite well. Um, I have to say with my background um, of social work, working in the early childhood education field, I felt that I was going to be quite prepared for being a new mom. And, um, and I, I, it was much more challenging um, than, than I thought. And I, fortunately, um, I, I wouldn't say I anticipated it, but after reaching out and speaking to other new moms, which I think is such an important thing to do, um, and just talking with others and finding out other people's experiences, it was highly encouraged, um, for me to get a doula and money was tight. And I, um, but Fortunately, I, I did make that decision, um, and it was just really for a few hours a day, um, just to, for the first few weeks, just to ha- help get my bearings. Um, but with my first child, it was a really, really tough delivery process. Um, it was a very, very uh, tough process in terms of me recuperating from that. 
And my daughter ended up in the NICU after uh, five days. Um, for about five days, she was in the in the NICU. Um, and that whole process was just really, really challenging. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on, but I'm not sure, you know, um, I will, I will just say that in general, um, it was, it was a tough process and I learned a lot through the way I definitely felt with my second one that I was more prepared, um, to put certain things in places, um, that, would help me further along with all aspects in terms of my, you know, emotional and mental health well-being and a greater support system, um, an organized approach to help facilitate the process, especially with having, at the time, you know, a two-year-old and a newborn. Um, so I, I learned a lot along the way. Yeah, that sounds hard. We had a guest recently talk about her experience with twins and her twins were preemies and her babies were in the NICU. And she said it was so hard to have family constantly asking, when are the babies coming home? Because that was her question too. And there was no answer for that. They just didn't know. And like, just as a personal experience, that sounds very hard. Yeah, it it really is. And when you if that you're just you're just going by you know praying and having faith that it will it will be okay. And yeah, it's a very very scary process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. um, so you talk about being a little more prepared for the second time around, and and having a little one. Um, what do you think was the main difference there for you? Was it just like having had a had a newborn once before? You're in a different you sort of know more what to expect. I do think that I, you know, for, uh, for many new moms that are really willing to share the, the first, the first few months, you know, many do go into that survival mode of just really trying to just get through each day with taking care of their little one, making sure they get sleep. It's, it's a really, it's, it's a tough process. Um, so, you know, it, it's, um, I do think that, you see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I don't, and I really don't want to go negative. I mean, there's definitely moments in the experience where you're just amazed by this newborn child and amazed by these milestones. And there's so much beauty and, and, and wonderful things that go along the way. Um, so it's just that I don't think enough people will talk about that. There are, you know, real challenges as, as well with the, the sleep deprivation you're trying to heal for those that breastfeed, you know, that in itself for many can be a really tough journey. Um, so it's just a new experience, you know, along the way. Um, after a few months, especially by the time your, you know, your baby is about six months old, there tends to be a little bit more routine and there's, you know, more systems in place and the confidence starts to build a little bit as a parent and, um, and, you're, you're able to get out more and do more things. And so, but those first few months can be very, very tricky, especially for those that don't have a strong support system in place. You know, depending on how available their, their partner is, their spouse, there may be family in the area, um, you know, within a few miles, but everyone has different circumstances going on where, you know, for, for some, you know, for many, they're, they're not available. Um, you know, so, you know, everyone is very unique and different in terms of, um, you know, their support systems and, and their own personal disposition. 
their ability just to navigate, you know, day to day. And, and your support system inclu- included a doula, it sounds like. Yes. And so that's the other thing I want to emphasize that I think it's really important for each person to really, um, before having your child to sort of tap into that self-awareness piece and really self-assess, you know, um, how you operate and what you think your own personal needs are and what are your resources and what is your support system. And that is one thing that I did with my first. Um, one of the best gifts that my parents gave me because they weren't as available as they wanted to be is they also actually helped as a gift, um, help pay for part of, of the doula, um, which I was so grateful for. You know, when caregivers say, how can I help? Um, even though I had a wealth of experience and a background, you know, again, I don't feel like, you know, we could ever be fully pre- really prepared. And the doula that came in with our first, you know, child, she was absolutely incredible. I mean, we were so exhausted. And again, my daughter was in and out of the NICU. And she came in and the first thing she did, is she looked around our home and she said, okay, I'm going to create this coffee table, which is high, you know, somewhat high and elevated into uh, another uh, diaper changing station, um, you know, for different reasons. You know, each home is unique and different things that could be helpful. But she basically went around the house and just kind of reorganized and reshifted things just to help our home function better. And then, you know, she was very directive, um, which I very much appreciated in a very nurturing manner. She said, please, both of you go take a nap. This is what I'm going to be doing. You know, while you're taking a nap. really, I mean, it was it was very much of it's all about, you know, OK, what do you parents need at this particular time at this particular day, this particular moment? So that's what was our greatest need with our first child. With our second child, I I was working. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to be working for the first, you know, handful of weeks or, or what have you working from home, but still I knew I was going to, it was all about eating and sleeping and taking care of, you know, the basic needs, but I knew, and I had a two-year-old at that point, and I did have, um, a, a nanny a few days a week, um, to help because I was working and, and we kept that in place because I knew that we needed help with our two-year-old, but where I'm going with this is that. Again, rethinking ahead of time, what were our needs? Um, it was it was the middle of the night um, that I knew I was going to need help with, and I would I would pump you know um, my breast milk whenever possible, and and the and the doula came um, in the middle of the night for you know about seven hours, um, so I could get as much sleep as possible. So ahead of time. It's, it's, it's thinking and planning what, what are the actual needs, you know, of each individual, depending on their circumstances. And it was, I just thank God for, for that decision. Really, it was, it, it really made a difference. Well, I just want to break in, Lynn, and, and say to our listeners, uh, our newer listeners, that we talk a little bit more in depth about what those needs will be. Uh, since from our vantage point, most people who haven't had children actually don't know. <laughs> right. They don't know that they're going to, you know, need 10 ounces of food for every ounce of breast milk they're producing or um, <laughs> mm-hmm. in addition mm-hmm. to the calories that keep them alive. They don't know uh, that they're not going to be in a position to prepare their own meals and snacks. And, and therefore, someone needs to organize that appropriately. And frankly, most friends and family don't know what that means. Um, so we right. go into into 
just how to make that self-assessment. Um, it's not based on only the things you know about yourself. It's based on some things you don't know about what it means to be postpartum. So that's why we do this show. <laughs> that's right. It's great. It's wonderful that you guys do the show. It's so needed, you know, and, and, um, you know, everyone's different in terms of their comfort level to outreach and, you know, to talk to others, to, you know, to get the real deal. And there's some that are just not as comfortable. So to be able to have a platform of what you guys provide is tremendous. It's really, it's, I think it's wonderful. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a- another thing that I, I think is worth mentioning is, you know, part of the process, you know, again, is, is, you know, before having your, your child is trying to think through, you know, a bit about your own personality and the family dynamics and, and, you know, um, and how tricky it can get, you know, in terms of um, conflicts and, and which is normal, you know, conflict is a part of our everyday lives. And it's how we, how we, you know, work through that, which, you know, is important and can get tricky at times, especially with family. And, um, and so, you know, it's a time to figure out a way, you know, to really tap into what are, you know, what are my needs as, as a new mom and a new dad, you know, to, you know, everyone has an opinion. You're going to get a ton of opinions from a lot of different people. And so what I've encouraged others to do, you know, is respectfully listen, because these are wise people, you know, from their own experiences. But again, everyone's unique and different. And I think it's really important for people to, you know, go ahead and, and again, listen to your loved ones. What do they have to say? And then you as a collective team, you know, to figure out, okay, what, what do we think makes sense and how to do this and move forward? Um, you know, it's, and, and also to really figure out a way to get inside and get an ability to, uh, to be assertive with, you know, no, I'm not comfortable with you coming and living with us for a week. That's just not (laughs) going to work. I, you know, you know, that's different for everybody, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not so easy to say that and do that. Um, but in certain circumstances, you kind of might need to, and, make create a rift. And um, in, in other circumstances, you know, in my situation, my mother-in-law from the East Coast, because we were living in California at the time, um, you know, she came with us. She came out to be with us um, with both, you know, um, when both of my girls were born. And we knew that we needed to get the lay of the land for the first few weeks before having her out. We just kind of drew the line and she was fine with it. She wanted to come out earlier. And we said, no, this is this is what we need. And she respected it, you know, and um, and then at one point, I'll share this personal story again in the spirit of being, you know, assertive with taking care of our needs. She was fascinated by breastfeeding. She, she you know, in her generation, many didn't breastfeed. Mm. And she wanted to watch me uh, pump um, when I was pumping the breast milk. Um, and um, and I remember feeling sort of uncomfortable with that. But at the same time, you know, I, I was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and do this. And, and it was, and she was, again, she was fascinated watching the whole process. It was a bit uncomfortable, but I got through it. But, you know, um, every now and then I would, I would pump. And the next time she watched, I remember thinking, okay, this is really out of my comfort zone, but I didn't, feel comfortable saying anything, even, you know, me, who I, at the time felt I was a fairly assertive person. And then finally at the third, yeah. Right. And then the third time, you know, I just said, you know, Betty, I love you. I really appreciate your support. 
I'm super uncomfortable with you sitting here watching me. I need my own space. And she, you know, she got it. So yeah, again, it's, yeah. it's just, again, it's, we got to figure out a way to, to really make sure that we, you know, nurture and take care of ourselves in the process. Right. And I, I will just add in there, you know, you're feeling uncomfortable during, uh, you know, a moment where you're trying to produce milk for your child doesn't help you produce milk for your child. Excellent point, right? It can have a dampering effect on milk production. And of course, your mother-in-law didn't understand that, right, personally or in any way. Um, And hopefully, again, our podcast goes a long way towards helping those friends and family learn about the impacts they might have, for better or worse, on new moms and and their new families. Right. Uh, and right. this is one of those things like it just, you know, it may feel to you like, oh, I was just uncomfortable and I needed to be assertive. Well, there's a whole physiology behind that discomfort that's going to affect you and your child. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that is such an important component as well. It's it's we're all, it's all so interconnected. Yeah. And it's so important. Yeah. To, to recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, when you're the new mom, you may or may not know this information. But you don't need to be in a position to have to explain it all either. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure this is another thing that you guys talk about on, on your show is, you know, the other the other piece that I remember struggling with was, you know, again, wanting to be, you know, super mom, superhero, super all of, you know, I can do it all. And um, and and needing to really put that just to be mindful of of figuring out a way to shed that, you know, at all costs and to really tap into, you know, I'm a very compassionate person. I deeply care and love about other people. And it was a process of having to really focus on that self-compassion and being gentle with myself and taking care of myself just the way I do with for other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important process that new moms, you know, we're, we're so hard on ourselves. Um, many of us, you know, um, throughout our journey of, of motherhood. And, you know, I remember just feeling very vulnerable as a new mom, you know, am I doing this right? Am I taking care of my child? Okay. You know, and, um, and I'll share this, the story when my daughter um, ended up in the NICU, that was devastating. And, and, um, and at, at one point I blamed myself. Uh, she, she had jaundice. Um, and it was one of those things where, this is where I will say to emphasize to parents, you know, to, you know, pay attention to your gut instinct. And this is where I will praise myself because I certainly did that. I, it, it, when she, when, when Alana, my older daughter was five days old and I was in the middle of breastfeeding and I, and, and I, and I remember the pediatrician saying, you know, look out for John. I didn't know much about jaundice. I really didn't. And you just say, look, these are the signs for jaundice, you know, look out for that. And anyway, she, she seemed very healthy. She seemed to be thriving but I saw a little bit of yellow in the corner of her eye, very little. And, and honestly, my husband didn't notice it. The doula didn't notice it. It was very mild, but I pointed out to the doula and the doula said, I see, you know, I see what you, I see what you're talking about. I really think to be on the safe side, you know, just bring her into the pediatrician. And then I was going back and forth. Am I overreacting? Is it too much? You know, but you know, and it was, and I kudos to the, to the doula for saying that because that helped with my inner voice as well got her to the pediatrician and the pediatrician was like, yeah, she might be a little bit jaundiced. The worst case scenario is that we send home some lights, you know, for her, 
Um, you know, I'm not too worried. And I kid you not, about two and a half hours later, three hours later, they get the blood work back right away. He said, stop everything you're doing. Get your daughter to Cedar sinai in L.A. You know, immediately. The NICU is waiting for her. Her bilirubin uh, levels were at 30, which is devastating. That's that's uh, for those that know about, you know, bilirubin levels. And he said, it must be a mistake. She would have been orange. You know, he as a pediatrician was like, couldn't fathom. So I we get her over there. And I said, well, I'm just going to feed her. Can I feed her? No, don't feed her. Get her, you know, to the NICU. And, you know, they retested and she, and they, they tested at 29, you know, bilirubin. And so she, you know, fortunately made it through it and, 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 and did okay. But it was a very, very scary time. And I just, and I don't bring this up to scare parents because, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, this is a very unique situation in terms of what happened on my end. But um, I, I just I do think that there is something to when people say trust your instincts. And um, and again, I went through a process of being very hard on myself, you know, was, you know, did I do something to create that situation? It's it's it could be it can be a, a challenging uh, process for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you said it yourself earlier, like people go into survival mode and they think they just have to suffer through. That includes physical pain, physical pain. And that includes things that you're talking about, like self-doubt saying like, oh, just, you know, I just have to, I'm just being anxious. I just have to get through this. But no, like, no, actually your intuition was a very legitimate concern that potentially saved your daughter's life. Um. So yeah, I, I see that now. I see that now. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's, there's something to, to self care and to getting out of survival mode and being respectful of oneself physically, mentally, emotionally, and, um, and yeah, and having this, having the, the wherewithal to say, well, wait a minute, I think something's not right. And listening to that. And it sounds like your doula who, um, to be specific, it sounds like she's a postpartum doula, not just a birth doula. Cause she was there with Correct. you. Correct. Your newborn. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like she, she also um, was there to help reinforce your feelings and your gut instinct, which was absolutely right. So um, that sounds like a close call on a scary situation. Very much so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, um, my mind's racing with so many things in terms of, um, but I, I'm sure the other thing that you talk about on your show quite a bit is is um, self care, you know, and and how to, um, you know, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves of our basic needs. And um, and one of the things I'll just mention that I found to be very helpful um, is having an organized approach to the best of our abilities. And this is something that new moms can do before having their child, you know, um, is to, is to think through different, different organized approaches that can make things go along in an easier capacity. So for example, I created a form, um, for breastfeeding. Um, so I knew which breasts I was leaving, leaving off with and how much time I spent on each breast. Um, I had a clipboard and, you know, with a pen that I would have, you know, completely accessible. And I also had a sleep, um, and, and a diapering form, uh, you know, cause if with the pediatrician, they asked, especially with the, with the diapering, the urine output, the bowel movement, what color was it? You know, that's a lot to remember. So I had, you know, a bunch of Xerox forms 
of being able to, um, you know, keep track of everything. And that was really, really helpful um, for sure. And then, you know, again, just trying to keep, um, uh, you know, sections of the refrigerator. This may seem silly, but having a section of the refrigerator that's just for you, where you have a yogurt or a string cheese or, you know, some almonds or um, in the cabinet, you know, just a section where you just know where everything is when you're exhausted and you need to grab something super quickly. Uh, and the other thing that I can't emphasize enough is, is to do whatever you can to get outside at least once a day. Um, and if it's raining out, maybe stand under an overhang, um, go into the backyard, stay in your pajamas. If you just feel like you can't take a walk down the street. Um, but just getting outside in terms of that self-care component, um, can make just really can make such a difference to be connected with nature and something beyond, you know, the in inside walls of, of your home. Um, because I do think that isolation is a really uh, challenging component to this. Um, and staying connected, if you're too tired to try to connect with someone, you know, for an hour, um, which could be so helpful uh, on so many levels of connecting with others, um, but again, just even getting outside, you know, is trying to identify specific steps that can help with our mental health well-being. I will pop in on this and just say that I think it's also important for parents to have somebody who knows enough about the, the physiological recovery period that can actually advise them in the first two to six weeks, one day at a time, about whether their body and their healing processes is coming along sufficiently that taking a walk outside the home is appropriate. Gotcha. It's, yeah. it's not to yeah. say that it wouldn't be, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but I do think that moms often hear take a walk every day and they think they're going to walk around the block. <laughs> right. And right. that could be devastating actually. Yep. So um, just knowing what's appropriate from one day to the next in your initial physiological recovery period, as we've stressed again and again on the show, is, is quite important for moms so that they can balance the, you know, those various needs. Um, and, then, and then to not go on a walk with somebody who's used to going on a three-mile run, go for a walk with somebody who can walk beside you at your speed and check in with you every few steps. Okay, what do you think? We have to get all the way back home. Would now be the right time to turn around instead yeah. of like, let's see if we can make it to the next corner. That is not helpful to a healing and recovering mom. Yeah, so. Esther, I, I appreciate you bringing everything you just brought up. I appreciate you bringing that up because I will say that with, with my first born, um, the first the first three to four weeks, I physically, uh, it was a very, very tough um, delivery. I was prepped for C-section and was given maybe a few more chances to push, um, and and which ended up working out. But my body, I, I probably would have recovered faster and better if I honestly had the C-section. It was, and it was very tricky. But my recovery process was was brutal, and and I do appreciate you bringing that up because you that's correct. I um. I wasn't in a place where I could just walk around the block in the beginning. That is completely accurate. Um, and uh, I would say that um, just 
getting outside in my backyard though, which I did do uh, by myself um, or with Alana, just sitting outside at times mm-hmm. was healing. You know, that's all yeah, I was this, able to do. The right? sun on yeah. your face. <laughs> right, right. Can be better right. than staying cooped up in the house. Yeah. Right. And then that was, and that's, yeah, that was, that was my capacity at that particular time and, and point before able to take it a step further. Yeah. Yeah. So assuming that your body is at a place where physically it's okay, going outside and getting some fresh air is, a, is definitely highly recommended <laughs> within, within the, the realm of what's appropriate for a healing process. Yeah, 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 very, very much so. So, something that we wanted to touch on with you, since caregiving is a um, an area that you work on a lot, Lynn, is um, what are the signs that someone might be suffering from burnout as a result of caregiving? The pure exhaustion that people feel, and lack of energy, and not able to think straight, and you know, it, it's it's tricky because in many cases, as a new mom we will go in and out of those experiences. The part that where where as a social worker with my social work background, in addition to working with elders, I also worked with with um, children, youth and family in a mental health clinic. And I've done outpatient work and different things. And when it gets to a point where you're not able to function, you know, where it's causing significant distress or impairment and being able to function, that that's really where um, the the bigger concern comes in. The burnout, I, the word burnout and fatigue, a lot of times can, to me, it seems it can go hand in hand as a new, as a new mom, um, depending on the day, you know, and what's, and what's going on. I, th- I think that the, the burnout is, again, is that when that excessive fatigue and exhaustion is just getting to be so much, uh, there needs to be a way to, you know, reassess and figure out and relook at, again, you know, resources, support system, and start figuring out a way to, you know, problem solve with some decision making to try to um, help get more support to address that burnout. And isn't it ironic that in those moments of burnout and feeling completely exhausted, that's the hardest time to make decisions and to pull resources together. It's just so unfair. It's so true. Mm -hmm. I know. It, it, it really, it really we, is because we we'd can't never be burnt out. <laughs> we'd never be burnt out if we could pull ourselves together and ask for help. <laughs> so yeah, I know, right? It, I know it, it's it's um, you know, it's so true, and and it's yeah, I the the burnout mm-hmm. thing is um, I mean, we can all, I think, most of us can relate. It's very real, and I also think that we just have to figure out a way to allow ourselves to be you know, again, gentle on ourselves that we're going to be tired at times. We have to give into it, I guess. And, you know, I, before having kids, I used to have a fairly organized home and everything had its place and it wasn't super, you know, hyper clean, but, you know, I, I had a system in place for everything. And (laughs) I think that, um, you know, once having kids, the dishes piled up a bit more in the sink and, you know, and certain things weren't as tidy and, we really to avoid that burnout it's really important that we just have to kind of um you know rework you know some of those expectations and um you know kind of give in to um not having to have everything 
you know, so, so perfect. Yeah. I think um, appropriately lowering what we think are our standards to a manageable place. And by manageable, I mean, you know, you're taking care of your, your basic human needs first. Your basic human needs are for sleep, nourishment, and positive human interaction. Right, right. It, it mm-hmm. is not a basic human need to live in a house that's pristine, you know, actually. Right. Yeah. And it, well, no, right. I mean, it's so, and, and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, I don't, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think about 60% of what we do day in and day out is very behaviorally driven. So we just, we just, just like brushing our teeth. We tend to have a certain routine in the morning. We wake up, we do, we brush our teeth, we brush our hair, whatever it is. We're very behavioral driven. And so part of what has to happen once we become a new mom is we, we really need to look at that and and try to, um, you know, take in different behaviors that can help support us, um, you know, to to be to be, uh, you know, more balanced in, in the process of, of that self-care. Mm-hmm. Yep. What you can't outsource, don't do. Just don't just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how we can prepare before baby arrives. Nice. Yeah. I, I think, you know, just going back to uh, sort of assessing your resources and your support system, you know, is, is key and making sure that you, whether it's, it's hiring a doula or having certain family members lined up that you feel that you could do well with, you know, in the process, those are all very important factors. Um, the, home environment to the best of our ability. Um, I will say that it's really important for each person, again, to the best of your ability to scan the home environment and see if the home is set up in a capacity that will help support your own family lifestyle or whatever's going on. So for example, something that I did with my, um, my two-year-old was still in diapers, which many two-year-olds are, you know, when my newborn was coming. And um, I, was I, I brought a stroller in the house for um, I literally this, an actual stroller. Um, you know, I, I understand that at times our newborns are going to cry and, and people will say, you know, it's not a problem for them to cry for a few minutes and, and so on. But my, my capacity level at times, I just needed peace. I needed quiet. I literally put, uh, you know, Jenna, you know, when she was, you know, two weeks, three weeks old, you know, if, if she was in a situation where if I put her down, she'd be screaming her head off um, at times. I, I would put her in the stroller and with one foot, I would rock the stroller back and forth while I was changing my older daughter, Alana, at the diaper, you know, changing station. Um, that in itself was just, it helped me have peace. It, it just helped with my whole mental health well-being. It just made a difference. And then, you know, I so even at times, I'll even admit, I don't know if this is, you know, a little nutty, but... You know, at times, again, if Jenna was in a place where she needed, you know, some extra holding and, and if she and and that experience of being in, in the stroller, which it was a really nice stroller, very comfort, you know, com- comfortable. And I literally, you know, getting through the dishes because it was I remember this specifically it was piled way high. Jenna was, you know, having a tough time. And I, I had I had the stroller right next to me and I was doing dishes while I had my foot on the stroller, just kind of moving it gently back and forth. And it, it, for me, 
it, it was it was night and day. Another thing that I did from an organizational um, perspective, my uh, my two year old um, needed supervision at that point. She was a late walker and she would fall a lot, and she just she just needed extra supervision. So, um, we had you know an upstairs downstairs, and it was one of those things where at times. Um, you know, she would need to be in the same room while I was taking care of Jenna, but I had a basket with age appropriate things in the basket in each main room of the house, whether it was the family room in Jenna's room up in our bedroom. Um, I had a few key areas, um, you know, where again, there was a basket in each room of the house that where we spent a lot of time, um, where Alana was able to be busy and, and engage with age appropriate activities. Little things like that, um, you know, can make a difference. Yeah, I love that. I, I personally learned that trick later than I, <laughs> looking back on it, than I wish. But having those little those little baskets are awesome. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much again for being a, a guest in our program. We've really enjoyed our conversation with you. Likewise, I appreciate it so much. And thank you for the great work you guys are doing. Thanks, Lynn. Well, thanks. And thanks again to our listeners who are out there. Please, as a reminder, you can check us out at fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. We're also putting transcripts of our program on the show as well. So look out for our transcript library um, if you'd like to, uh, to see that and read that and share that with friends as well. So thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on the fourth trimester. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake
Song for you. 